Good morning, everybody. I feel kind of obligated to say good morning, church, in, in honor of Obed, Pastor Obed. But yeah, um, so I'm super excited to, to be here with you guys. Um, as Dan said, my name's Tylon. I've been coming to King's Cross ever since I moved to San Diego, which is like a year and a half ago now. That sounds about right. Um, but this morning, I have uh, the joy of sharing God's word with you, so I'm so excited to, to be here with you guys. Um, Dan stole a couple of uh, my intro points of who I am, so I'll just share two, two other interesting facts. Uh, I'm currently engaged to Katie. She's one of the worship leaders here. Yes, that does deserve applause. I'm definitely marry, marrying up. Um, so, yes, that's true. Um, yeah, so uh, I feel really blessed in that. And then I guess one more interesting ba- fact for me, I'm originally from South Florida. Is, is anyone else here from Florida? I don't even remember, no? Yeah, nobody wants to be from Florida. Nobody's <laughs> proud of it, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> um, sweet, yeah, so we'll just kind of jump right in. We have a, a nice lengthy passage to go over today. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter two, verses 14 through 41. So if you uh, don't have a Bible, um, We've got some back there. Um, He's displaying them for all to see. Uh, So if you don't have a Bible, I definitely encourage you to go grab one, um, especially for this morning since it's such a long passage. Um, Or you can just open it up on your holy and anointed uh, iPhones or Samsung Galaxies and follow along with us. Uh, So we'll be in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. Uh, And this whole passage is essentially just Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Um, so basically, I just get to give a sermon on someone else's sermon, which is kind of nice. It feels really meta. I don't know. Um, and, and we're going to be looking at three things about Peter's sermon. Uh, we'll look at the opportunity that was given to Peter for his sermon, um, the sermon itself or, or the gospel in it, um, and then the response to his sermon. So the opportunity, the gospel, and the response. Um, so let's just go ahead and jump right in uh, to Acts 2. Um, starting in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, 
for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he would not abandon to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Before therefore, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Whew, gotta catch my breath for a minute. It's a long passage. <laughs> Uh, but it's so good and it's just such full of richness and just this full sermon. So I wanted just to like read through the whole thing before we kind of jump into it. Um, and there really is a lot to cover. And I just want to say before we get going that we're not going to get to cover everything that Peter talks about in this amazing passage. Um, but I'll do my best to kind of hit on the highlights and, and we'll be moving through. So first, the opportunity that Peter's given to present this sermon. You know, this passage starts off at kind of an odd place, and basically the very first thing he says, he gets up and he's like, all right, guys, don't worry, I'm not drunk. Um, if I started off by getting up and those were my first words, guys, don't worry, I'm not drunk, it's only 10 a.m., you'd probably be sitting there like, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so we need some context, we need to see what's happening here. Um, and... Uh, we, we got to kind of see that context and hear about it last week. So last week we got to hear from uh, Jeremy Aylett on the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, uh, which is what happened just before today's passage. And this is what sets the stage for Peter. So I just want to go in and uh, sum it up briefly. So first it's important to note the day that all this is happening is Pentecost. Um, Pentecost is also known by another name. It's uh, the Feast of Weeks. Uh, it was one of the many Jewish festivals. And so all of Jerusalem is filled to the brim with like men and women um, who like practice the religion of, of Judaism from all over the ancient world. Um, in fact, the author of Acts, uh, his name's Luke, he mentions specifically that there are at least 13 different nations who are all present in Jerusalem right now. So I kind of, when I think of the modern day equivalent, I just kind of imagine like um, Times Square at New Year's Eve, you know, just a bunch of people from all of the world 
Um, but here, nobody's wearing diapers, so they don't, you know, as they're, as they're waiting. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that's what happens. I, yeah, <laughs> sounds rough. Um, but that's kind of the scene here. There's just all these people gathered together from all over the world in one spot. Um, so it's Pentecost. The disciples are all gathered together, and suddenly the Holy Spirit falls on them and fills them. And the Bible says they begin to speak in tongues. And there's a lot of kind of like misconception here. And I just want to say in this specific instance, we know for a fact that when it says speak in tongues, they're not just kind of babbling mindlessly. Um, they're actually speaking foreign languages. Um, and we know that because uh, it makes it pretty clear in the texts. Um, it says that these Jews from these 13 different nations all hear the mighty works of God being proclaimed to them in their own language. So he's speaking foreign, they're, they're all speaking foreign languages that they haven't known. And, and I love the crowd's reaction, right? So some of them are like, what does this mean? Which sounds kind of normal. And all of that other people are like, oh, these people are drunk, which I think is hilarious because when I've been around drunk people, I've noticed that they have a hard time speaking one language. They don't suddenly go up to four. So it's just kind of like, what are you guys thinking here? But, you know, <laughs> either way, they are all gathering to see what's going on. Um, and I just love, like, isn't this so clearly orchestrated by God? Like the fact that this happens odd Pentecost, right? So all of these people from all over the ancient world are in Jerusalem. Like that's the day that the Holy Spirit comes. Like that's not an accident. And then like all these, like all of them, they all gather because the miracle that God chose to accompany the arrival of the Holy Spirit is speaking different languages, like they just miraculously, miraculously start speaking like 11, 12 different languages. And I love how right out of the gate, it's just so, so clear that God's kingdom is for all people. And God has a heart for every nation. So this is the opportunity that's given to Peter and he jumps on it, right? He stands up before everyone and explains the situation. Um, he says, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which means it's 9 a.m. Um, so he's like, it's, it's too early for us to be drunk. Um, don't worry. <laughs> uh, he then, and he then transitions into explaining what's actually happening. That prophecy is being fulfilled before their very eyes. Um, so he's going to quote in his sermon um, three different times from the Old Testament specifically. Uh, and this time he quotes out of um, the book of Joel. Um, it's specifically Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32 as proof. Um, and he does this because he recognizes the people that he's talking to. These are all Jews. And so he's going to contextualize it for them and pull stuff out of the Old Testament to show who Jesus really is. Um, so he quotes the prophet Joel as proof showing that the very spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which has been promised to the Jews for generations, is being poured out onto all who believe. So now that we've set the stage, so that's, that's the opportunity. We've set the stage. Peter's addressing the situation. Um, so now we get to move on and, and look at the main content of Peter's sermon, the gospel. And we get to uh, spit, split, this, uh, split this sermon into three parts. That all have sinned, that Jesus is Lord, and that all can be saved. So he hits on the gospel and he hits on all have, that all have sinned, that Jesus is Lord, and that all can be saved. So first he starts um, 
He, he kind of starts and ends his long discourse on the gospel here uh, with, with, with sin, with their sin. He, he points out the sin of the Jews, specifically Jesus's death at their hands, right? In verse 23, uh, Peter says that this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then he ends it all the way in verse 36. He pretty much says the same exact thing. This Jesus whom you crucified. All right, so this is the very first sermon in the history of the church, not just a church, like the church, the capital C global church. And Peter doesn't pull any punches, which I think is interesting. Like if I was gonna start a church, I wouldn't get up and stand up and be like, hey everybody, you're all sinners. Welcome to church. It's not like, that's not like the first thing that comes to mind, but, but Peter stands up and he doesn't pull any, any punches. He gets up and he basically burns the house down. He goes after their sin hard. Like, why is that? I think the reality is that it's because Peter knows that without a recognition of sin, the message of the gospel has no place to actually land on. Right? Without the message of sin, the gospel has nothing to land on. If somebody doesn't recognize how truly terrible their sin is, there's no need for a savior. There's no need for salvation, right? If you don't realize that every single sin, every lie, every instance of gossip, every angry remark, every lustful thought, every act of deception is an outright act. It's, it's an outright affront and rebellion against an infinitely perfect and infinitely holy and infinitely just God then why would you need a savior, right? Because then it's pretty easy to be like, well, I think I'm good enough. But that's exactly what sin is. Every sin is an affront to God and an act of rebellion against this perfect being. And the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that all of us has this, have this sin in us. We all are born into it. We all act in rebellion against God. And that all who do sin are under the wrath of a just God who cannot allow injustice to go unpunished. So for anyone to receive the gospel, they must truly recognize the, the plight that they're in. They must recognize that they are a sinner under the wrath of God and in desperate need of a savior. And so that's why Peter just kind of points it right. He goes, he goes right, right to the heart of it. And he's like, hey guys, listen, you guys, you really messed up here. You just like killed the son of God. That's why Peter highlights it. So he, he hits on sin. And then he moves on to showing that Jesus is Lord. And he does this by, by pointing to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus as evidence of his lordship. In verse 22, he speaks of his life, saying that Jesus was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. That Jesus' works bore witness to who he was to the power of God in him. And if we would go back to the, uh, to the gospel accounts and read the four, the four gospel accounts at the beginning of the New Testament, this would be really, really quite clear. Um, as we see like Jesus going around and he's, he's healing people, he's performing all sorts of miraculous signs. Um, he's, um, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, uh, the dead are being raised. 
from the, uh, the debtor being raised by him. All these miraculous signs pointing to the fact that Jesus is Lord. And in the following verse, in verse 23, Peter, Peter points to Jesus' death saying, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you killed. And the phrasing here is really important because it, it, it makes it abundantly clear that Jesus' death wasn't an accident. Right? The God of the universe went willingly to the cross to be put to death at the hands of men. He knew what was going to happen. He chose to do it anyway. That's incredible. And then Peter spends the bulk of his time on the last part, the resurrection. And this is the part that really sets Jesus apart from all who came before him. Is there's many great Jewish prophets in the Old Testament. I mean, we have Moses, David, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah. Um, the, the list kind of goes on. Um, and many of them performed incredible miracles by the power of God. And many of them also died for their beliefs, uh, being stoned or beheaded or like all these different kind of just terrible deaths. But none were raised from the dead. This victory over death is what proves and seals Jesus' deity and his lordship over all things. And that's why Peter spends so much time on it. Because if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then our hope is on nothing. Like the wrath of God is still on us and, and we don't have the opportunity to receive new life. So how does Peter show Jesus' res resurrection? He contextualizes it. So remember, he's speaking primarily to Jews here at Pentecost. Um, and so he leans heavily on the Old Testament to prove the resurrection. Um, and he starts first off by uh, quoting David, um, who's one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. Um, and he quotes David, he quotes specifically out of Psalm chapter 16 to show that, again, that Jesus has come and fulfills scripture, that Jesus has fulfilled prophecy. Um, and he makes it quite clear um, in, in this prophecy that it's not about David, because it very specifically says, um, it's quoted in, in verses 25 through 28, um, that you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And then Peter kind of points out the obvious, and he's like, hey guys, David died, so he's clearly not talking about himself. But he's talking about somebody, he's prophesying, he's talking about somebody to come. Um, he's talking about Jesus. And not only that, but he points out the very miracle that the crowd of people have seen, the coming of the Holy Spirit as further evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And he then sums up the whole thing in verse 36, saying, let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. So it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus which point to his lordship. And I want to point out one thing before we move on to the next part. As the, the bulk of this passage from verse 22 all the way through verse 36 is primarily concerned about proving Jesus' lordship specifically. Not deliverer, not savior, not redeemer. Even though all of these things are true, but specifically to show that Jesus is Lord. I think as Christians, it's very easy for us to say that the gospel is that Jesus came to save us, forgive us, 
redeem us, give us life and bring us to heaven, which is all true, and then stop right there. And if we do that, we're only basing our faith on on a partial truth because Jesus did come to do all of those things, absolutely. But he also came to become our Lord. If we leave the Lord part out, the gospel becomes very me-centric. God came to save me. He came to redeem me. It's about me. And the gospel isn't about us, but it's about a loving God who came for us. The gospel is supposed to be God-centered, not us-centered. Um, to be Christian means to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think many of us might say that he's Lord, but the evidence of his lordship over us is not only that we say it, but in our actions. Right? Uh, in Ephesians, it says that we have been saved by grace through faith. So it's not our actions which save us, but it's our actions which prove our salvation. Um, and so I just think like, we, we really need to examine and look at it. Like We say Jesus is our Lord, but am I actually living like Jesus is my Lord? Right? I pretty much spent my whole life in the church. Um, I was born and raised in it, and I didn't get this concept of Jesus being my Lord until my freshman year of college. Um, and that was, <laughs> it was kind of rough. Like I, I knew about salvation and I knew about Jesus. I knew of him as my savior. Um, but I still kind of ran around and, and did my own things. Um, I kind of ran from the church when I was in high school. Um, I started skipping all of my classes. Um, I fell into a bunch of different sexual sins and stuff. I was basically saying, I want to be Lord of my life while still, um, I was just kind of like taking only half the gospel. Jesus is my savior, but I'm going to still be Lord of my life. Um, and I kept kind of running in that direction. Uh, I went to college, spent my first semester doing the same thing, making myself the Lord of my life. Um, and then I ran into the problem that pretty much everybody does when you're Lord of your own life is your life falls apart um, through various decisions that, that I had made. Uh, I started to do really poorly in my classes um, because I was skipping them for different, different stuff to, to hang out with friends. Um, I was falling deeper and deeper and deeper into um, just different kinds of sexual addictions, to be honest. Um, and I was entering into my first dating relationship only to find that my girlfriend cheated on me. And so I was just left in just kind of a mess. And I went home to, for Christmas break and heard um, to the same church I grew up in. Uh, and finally, it just kind of hit me as, as I was sitting there um, listening to this sermon. Um, God just made it kind of clear as he was speaking into my heart and just like saying, hey, Tylen, you've always known me. You've known me as your savior but you've never actually made me Lord of your life. You've been Lord of your life this whole time. Um, do you want me to be your Lord or not? And I remember sitting there and thinking, well, I've seen where me being my own Lord has taken me um, just through this path of just mess and destruction and pain. And so in that moment, I was like, all right, God, like, you, you can be Lord now. 
Like, I'm, I'm done trying this on my own. And it sounds kind of weird because by saying, Lord, you're inevitably, like, you're putting yourself under him. You're putting yourself under someone. But in that action, I just immediately experienced this abundant freedom that comes from that. Because Jesus, when, when Jesus is our Lord, he's our master, but he is, he is gentle and lowly in heart. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And, and I was able to start to take these steps of obedience and, and grow in my faith. Um, and it's brought me to where I am today. All because Jesus is Lord. Like I experienced freedom from addiction. I experienced uh, just, just the glory of God as he has transformed me and brought me to where I am today. So there's freedom in this lordship. And so yes, we have been saved, but Jesus also has to be our Lord. So all have sinned. Jesus is Lord. And now we get to the last part of Peter's gospel exposition, that all can be saved. And we see this primarily in verses 38 and 39. Right? And Peter said to them, repent and believe, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord God calls to himself. See, in repenting of our sin and believing in the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are saved. And I think it's important to, to define repenting and belief here, right? And, and we're saved from the wrath of God through, through this act. Um, and so repenting isn't just saying, sorry, God, and kind of moving on. Um, it, it, it's much more involved in that. Re- repenting, it, it means more of an active turning. It's recognizing our sin and, and, confess, and confessing it and mourning our sin and then turning into a new direction, it's recognition, confession, and moving in a new direction. That's what repentance is. And likewise, belief is more than just saying, yeah, you know, I, I, I think these things happened. I believe that Jesus actually did this stuff. It, it's more than just that. It's placing your faith and your hope in the completed work of Jesus. Saying, you know, Jesus, I believe that you took on the wrath of God that I deserved, that you conquered my sin so that I now have new life in you, Jesus. Because you are my Lord, you are my savior. It's by your grace that I have been saved, by your life, your death, and your resurrection. And we take that step of faith, that's what it means to believe. So as we turn from our sin and take this step of faith, and in faith take hold of the completed work of Jesus as our savior and as our Lord, we are saved. I don't know, um, Peter mentions baptism here as well, and I wish we had more time to get into it. Uh, But since we're running, uh, since it's a long passage and we'll be running short on time, uh, I'll just kind of state to you what I believe to be true about baptism. Um, Baptism is the external indicator of an internal faith. Right? It's, it's kind of like a wedding ring. The, the wedding ring itself isn't what marries you, but it's an external sign of your marriage. And the same is true with baptism. 
Um, it's not what saves you, but it's the, first, it's the first external act of obedience in your new walk with Christ. Declaring to the world that Jesus is your Lord, that you live for him and for his glory, and that Jesus is your savior. And so if you're here today um, and you are a Christian, you have not be, been baptized, I would certainly urge you to do it. Um, we are called to baptism. It is called as, it is our first act of obedience as believers. But I believe that baptism isn't what saves you, but it's just that external, it's that external indicator of an internal reality. All right, to summarize then, this is the gospel of Jesus and the one that Peter presents. That all of us have sinned, that we're all guilty by our sin, by our rebellion against God. We, just like the Jews, have put Christ to death. We've stood up and said, hey, I want to be Lord of my life. I want to be my own God. That's what every sin ultimately says. So all of us have sinned. But Jesus is Lord. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And and by his power and by these many miracles that he performed, he showed that he was truly the son of God. And he died the death that we all deserve. He, he took the wrath of God upon himself and drunk it dry for our sakes. And then he conquered it all by being raised from the dead. So that when we look to God, when we repent from our sin, when we turn, when we make Jesus our Lord and our Savior, we are saved and have new abundant life in Christ. That's the gospel that Peter is presenting, the the good news that Peter is presenting to us. All right, so we looked at the opportunity that Peter is given, and now we've seen the gospel that he presents to the Jews. So now let's finish by looking at the response of the crowds who are all here to see why these people might be drunk and doing stuff. So... um, And here's the response of the crowds. We see it in verse 37. It says, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And we can see the crowds that gathered, they really do recognize their sin. Just like we were saying, They, 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 they see it, they mourn it, and they want to turn away from it. And so as we've already seen, Peter calls them to repent, to turn away from their sin and to believe. And we see in verse 41 that 3,000 of them all come to Christ right then and there. 3,000 people. Like, that's just incredible. Can you imagine if we just, like, packed 3,000 people into this room? Like, that would be insane. (laughs) Uh, But it gets even more amazing when we remember who Peter was. He wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't some, like, successful merchant or, like, a businessman or anything like that. He wasn't even an educated man. He's just some fisherman. It's kind of like me. I'm just some Florida guy. (laughs) Uh, He's just some fisherman. And and not only that, but we see, uh, as Dan pointed out, that he wasn't even, like, at times, he wasn't that great of a disciple of Jesus. He, like, constantly is questioning him. He eventually denies Jesus at the cross. Like, this is the same Peter. How is this guy able to do this? 
And I think the answer lies um, in, in one, of, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Acts chapter four, verse 13. Um, and just in this verse, uh, spoiler alert, the Jewish religious leaders aren't a fan of this new church. And so eventually they start to persecute it as we'll see as we move through Acts. Um, and so Peter again has the chance to defend his faith. And, and this, is, this is the response in, in Acts chapter four, 13. It says, now when they, being the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter's able to do this because he was just an ordinary man who had been with Jesus and had received the Holy Spirit in him. And that leads me to kind of our application or our response to this chapter. Like, what should our response be? What, what should we do when, when similarly um, we're presented with these kinds of opportunities? Um, is just as Peter did, as Christians, we are called to look for every opportunity to present the gospel. And, and it, it might look um, very unique. It might not look like... Um, standing up in front of 3,000 people. Uh, but we're all called to do this as Christians. We're all common, ordinary men and women. Um, but as believers, we have been with Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so we have the capability to do this. Um, and I just wanna give you a couple of examples of, of what this might look like. Um, for you guys, so one of our one of our students um, at UCSD, she's a sophomore. Her name is Cecia. Um, has done this really really well. Uh, so she she like lives at home and commutes like forty five minutes to to school all the time. Um, and so because of that, she just has like some friends, and so she'll, she'll like actually spend the night at some of her friends' dorms uh, once or twice a week. Um, and so as she's been doing this, she's been like making um, just kind of getting to know her friend more and more, and also her friend's roommates. Um, and so she like, kind of like looked at her friend and she's like, hey, like you know my faith pretty well. Like why don't we sit down and just kind of like read, read the Bible together and we can kind of get to know Jesus together. Um, and her friend was like, okay, yeah, I think we can do that. Um, so they started doing that for a couple of weeks. Um, and then one of her friend's roommates came out and saw them sitting reading the Bible. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? And Cecilia just grabbed a Bible and was like, here, catch up. And so they, they kind of kept going and then she sat down and so now there were two of them that she was leading this, this uh, Bible study with. Um, and then the next week, one of her other roommates came out the door and was like, hey, what are you, uh, what are you guys doing in there? And so uh, she came out and joined them as well. So now Cecilia will literally describe this as her accidental Bible study. And she's, she was literally like, hey guys, I think I accidentally started a Bible study and I don't really know what to do. Um, but be, all she was doing was being with Jesus and the spirit of God is in this girl who's like 18, 19 years old. And now she's sitting with three non-believing people reading the Bible together. Like it can be as simple as that, looking for the opportunity to share your faith with other people. Um, and you might be kind of thinking like, well, I, I don't really know if I have that opportunity. Like you're not in college anymore, so you don't have roommates necessarily. Or you do because rent is expensive and we live in San Diego. Uh, but like just pray and pray and ask God, God, would you give me opportunities to share my faith? And as you do that, you might start to see that all around me, you. I remember praying that one day 
Uh, and then I walked into a Starbucks and I saw a guy had like this kind of funny giraffe tattoo about it on, on his arm, the barista. And so I asked him about his, his tattoo and we had like a 15 minute long conversation just in one day, <laughs> one day of prayer. So pray and ask God for the opportunity for, to present the gospel. Um, and then there's the second response that we can see too. Um, as for you, if, if you're here and you don't know Christ, this is a response for you. Right? We've been talking about the, the, the gospel, this, this good news of Christ all morning. And again, just, just as we've said before, um, if, if you don't know Jesus, um, the Bible makes it really clear that you are a sinner. You are under the wrath of God. But the good news is that Jesus has come for you. He came to die for you, to take that wrath of God onto himself and to bring you into his new kingdom where he's Lord and savior. And so if that's you, I would say to you the exact same thing that Peter said to these 3000 people, repent and believe, turn away from your sin, repent, confess it to God and turn to him and believe that his work, the completed work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection came to save you. Take that step of faith and believe in him and begin to walk with Jesus. And the moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes into you and helps you in your walk with him. So if, if you're sitting here and you want to make that decision today, um, I'd urge you just just come to talk to me or Josh or, or Jeremy or, or Dan or our worship pastor afterwards. We would love to rejoice with you. We would love to pray with you um, just to receive this gospel and to begin walking in this abundant, new, joyous life. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much, Lord. Um, for your gospel and for your word. Um, God, we thank you that we can just go back into the book of Acts and see um, that the same gospel that we have today is, is the one that's being preached there. Just this good news of, of your life, death, and resurrection, which has the power to, to transform our lives. Um, and so, Lord, I ask as, as we um, walk through our week, God, would you help us to open our eyes um, so we would look and see the opportunities that are all around us um, to share our faith, to bring people into your kingdom, um, to bring joy and new life. And Lord, for those who've, who are in this room who don't know you, God, I pray that they would be willing to take that step of faith, to turn and, and to believe that you are Savior and Lord, that in faith they would know um, that their sin is no more and that they have a new spirit, a new life, and that they can walk with you. Lord, I pray this in your holy name. Amen.